baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. Floyd, we are doing the theme thing this morning. So welcome to Wiggins America, the second hour here. If you missed the first hour or parts of it and you want to get the podcast, that will be uploaded on Monday or you can rewind using the Odyssey app. We are, you know, I think the the music doesn't make the podcast though because the podcast uh, can't include music for copyright reasons. So all the Pink Floyd you're hearing, that's just for you. That's for you. And it's all deep cuts, which I know is has got to be you know, there are very, very few people who are enjoying it. <laughs> so that's, that's a terrible decision on my part, but there you go. I'm Ryan Wiggins, and this is Wiggins America. So uh, we are doing a couple things this morning. Uh, we had some interviews last hour that were very, very good. We have an interview coming up next segment that you should stick around for, too, because if you, have, if you haven't heard, Chicago has passed universal basic income. So we're going to talk to a guy named Matt Rosenberg, who's written a book about Chicago and about economics and the collision of those things. We'll talk about that next with him and what that looks like specifically for supply chain issues and maybe even what it looks like down the road, how they got this money and all of that. That's coming up next. But one very, very big story that has not gotten any coverage anywhere I can't believe this kind of stuff doesn't get more coverage. It's amazing to me. And I only ran across it. Here's how little this is being reported. It's a big thing happening in Wisconsin. It's not being reported almost at all. I ran across it. Here's the timeline. Thursday, because Senator Ron Johnson, who is a Republican from Wisconsin, you know, a very purple state, uh, he's running for re-election next year. And as far as I know, he's been in and out. I think he's running because he said before, I'm not going to run, then he is going to run, then he isn't. I don't know. I think he's running, though. So he's kind of, he, he doesn't really step into controversial issues. He, he you know, kind of walks the line, plays the game. He's just trying to be elected in a solidly purple state. And it's a good year. You know, it's a good Republican year, 2022, whenever you're the party that's out of power, that benefits you. 
But for him to weigh in on this shocked me. So I'm just going to read his tweet. Here it is. He says, following the LAB report, what what Sheriff Schmalling has uncovered and disclosed might only be the tip of the iceberg of fraud in the 2020 election. The legislature must be given the time, resources, and cooperation of election officials to conduct a complete investigation of allegations. I knew some things were going on in Wisconsin, that there were some investigations, not in the same way that Arizona did, the audit, but investigations into some fraud allegations that look to be very, very credible. Well, those things are very, very credible now. Senator Ron Johnson said that, but he retweeted this from Dan O'Donnell. It says, an absolute bombshell in Wisconsin. Investigators in Racine County have presented extensive evidence that the Wisconsin Election Commission committed a felony by telling nursing home staff members to illegally cast ballots for residents. Senator Ron Johnson goes on to tweet also, using elderly residents with cognitive decline to commit election fraud is reprehensible and should concern every Wisconsinite and American. If Democrats will stoop this low to impact elections, one can only imagine, and so on and so forth. That's Senator Ron Johnson. Again, not exactly a conservative stalwart. Walks the line. He's in Wisconsin. He knows his electorate. He's trying to get reelected. He has said this thing is shut and dry, is is a shut and dry case. Shut and dry. <laughs> That's not a term. Uh, sh- closed case. There, we'll go with that. Um, so, if you're interested in finding out more. That's what we're talking about here in Wiggins America. Wow, Wiggins America. What does all that mean that I just read to you? Well, here it is from OAN, Christina Bob, who's on with uh, Mark Cox pretty often. I'm just going to read this report and we'll talk about it a little bit as we go because it's, it's pretty detailed. The Wisconsin Election Commission knowingly, knowingly and intentionally violated the state's election laws and instructed subordinate election officials to to do the same. They have all this in writing. That they instructed all election officials across the country to break the law and knew they were doing it. According to the Racine County Sheriff, Christopher Schmalling. In a shocking press conference on Thursday, law enforcement officials from the Racine County Sheriff's Office laid out their case of election fraud in Racine during the 2020 election. The investigation focused on abuse of voters confined to nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Basically, they were told that election officials were not allowed to go into uh, nursing homes at all. However, every single other type of person, and because of COVID, right? Every single other type of person involving, you know, DoorDash, Pizza Hut delivery, the aquarium cleaners, Anybody you can think of was allowed to come into these nursing homes except for election integrity watchers. They were barred. And so we're talking about some pretty big numbers here. Now, this report doesn't show it, but my my own looking into it. Oh, by the way, I just discovered here DoorDash delivery drivers, vending machine workers, elevator repairmen, bird cage cleaners, copy machine vendors. All of these people were allowed to come in, but not. Special voting deputies were not allowed to come inside. That's illegal. You can't do that. And it was all in the name of COVID. It violates uh, Wisconsin Statute 6.875. And they knew it. So it wasn't just, oh, we're going to do this. It was they knew they were doing this, and they instructed everybody beneath them to do this too. They say that because of the number of votes that were cast from nursing homes, 
And what they would do is, you know what they would do without me even saying it. They would go up to a person in a nursing home who a lot of times, you know, they don't exactly, they don't even know what they're reading, if they are reading anything. And they would say, well, who do you want to vote for? If, if that, and the person would just sort of wave their hand and they go, okay, well, I'm just, I'm going to assume you voted for this person and they'd mark their ballots for them. That's what they were doing. That's fraud. You can't do that. You can't mark the ballot for somebody else without somebody present as a, as a, I guess that they're called the, uh, special voting deputies. You can't do that without somebody standing there to watch because it's so easy to commit fraud in nursing homes for that reason. This would have affected possibly between 50,000 and 100,000 votes in Wisconsin. You know how much Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden? 20,000 votes. There are calls to decertify as the headline of this OAN article. Of course, I mean, of course, it's OAN, right? But it says Wisconsin may surpass Arizona and be first state to decertify the 2020 election. I don't know if that's actually going to happen or if that's just a salacious headline, but I'm seeing that a lot. So I'm watching this story develop Yesterday afternoon, apparently, the Wisconsin Elections Commission held an emergency meeting after Racine County's Sheriff's Department accusations uh, of fraud. What happened in that meeting? Still trying to find it. Again, these things are very, very difficult because the press, their job is to report on this kind of stuff. They intentionally, completely ignore it. Or... When they just can't ignore it anymore, like the Arizona audit, they discredit it. They run coverage. They do like they did with the uh, the audit report that was supposed to come out on a Friday afternoon. That Friday morning, they had the Wisconsin, or not the Wisconsin, the Arizona Board of Supervisors release one little nugget from the report. And that's why even today, if you're listening to me talk about this, if you know anything about the Arizona audit, you probably know what that nugget was which is, oh, it looks like Joe Biden actually gained about 100 votes in this audit. Well, that's true of the recount alone. So just recounting ballots, which which means you could recount fake ballots, that would be true. He gained another 100 votes. All of the fake votes that that audit found were never reported. So if you've been following this story closely like I have or you've been listening to the show, you might know that fact. I wrote an article about it probably a month and a half ago now. But very, very few people know that fact because, A, most people didn't even know that audit was happening. And B, if you did, you heard people like even Fox News report on the nugget of the 100 votes and not the between forty to 60,000 votes that were declared, pro- not probably, fraudulent in nature, and then an additional 255,000 that they said maybe. So that's a huge, huge deal. There's still a lot going on in Arizona, but I wanted to bring this news to you out of Wisconsin because it's significant. We're going to continue to follow these things because nobody else is. And I don't know what it's going to lead to. People keep talking about decertifying. I'd love to know your opinion on this, actually. Um, what happens if, if you find, if they find definitively, and it looks like they are, it, I mean, they, they have in Arizona, it's just been such a long, long process for that audit. This is, again, a uh, shut and dry case. I think I'm using that term correctly this time. 
this is fraud, and they have the emails to prove it. They have the emails proving that the Wisconsin Election Commission knowingly, intentionally violated these laws to commit voter fraud. They have the, the top of the organization's emails to all their subordinates across the whole country instructing them to do this at nursing homes to create fraudulent, fake votes. For president and probably for others, I don't know the presidential ones that one that always gets all the attention. <clears throat> so that's what <clears throat> we're focusing on. That's the one, of course, we all focus on because Donald Trump still focuses on it and he puts out press releases all the time. That's actually how I found this. Liz Harrington put out this press release quoting Ron Johnson, the senator from Wisconsin. Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, easy to remember. And uh, so I may actually try to get Liz Harrington on the show next week to talk about these things, especially when we know a little bit more, because like I said, that meeting with the uh, Wisconsin, let me read it again, just to be sure I'm getting the terms right here. Um, The Wisconsin Elections Commission held an emergency meeting yesterday. So that's actually, that's, I was, I was thinking that was the legislature. That's not, that's the, the election commission that is being accused of fraud here and did commit fraud. So what will happen? We'll see. They are uh, they are under criminal investigation for this now, apparently, according to the sheriff of Racine County. But it is widespread, and they can prove that across the whole state. So anyway, we'll keep following this. Stick, stick around, because coming up next, we're going to shift gears completely and talk about universal basic income. Yes, it's coming to Illinois, but not in Illinois near you. It's coming to Chicago, And they say it's a pilot program. That is, of course, ridiculous. It's here to stay. And it's small right now, but this is the smallest it will ever be. They always start small, just like the income tax did. It was just supposed to be 1% on the richest people and then 7% on the rest. And that was the smallest the income tax ever was and probably will ever be until we have a new country of Texas someday. I'm Ryan Wiggins. This is Wiggins America. Stick around. More on that universal basic income coming to Chicago next. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk. Good morning and welcome back to Wiggins America. So been looking forward to talking to Matt Rosenberg. He is on the phone now. He is author of the book, What's Next, Chicago? Notes of a Pissed Off Native Son. And the reason, Matt, that uh, we're talking today is a little known news item that has uh, has kind of gone under the cover of night. I, I live in Illinois myself and I had not heard about this until it was brought to my attention. Mayor Lori Lightfoot has proposed that more than $31 million uh, as part of her 2022 budget will go to start a universal basic income package in the city of Chicago. Break that down for us. Well, they're getting the money from federal COVID relief funds from the Biden administration. Uh, It's not something that they've got an ongoing allocation for in coming years. So right there, for starters, not a very swift idea in terms of best fiscal practices. Um, 
then you get to the whole idea of UBI. Um, right now, it seems as if the country is already suffering from, frankly, too much financial aid that's been given out directly by the feds. And uh, places that need workers are having a, a very hard time finding them uh, because people are disincented to work. The mm-hmm. only reason is not federal handouts. There are a number of things going on, you know been kind of a a whole new environment for people they're reevaluating their lives and and that you know is is something i'm sympathetic toward but uh this fits with a pattern of increasing uh payouts with really no strings attached uh in the age of covid and uh, you know this is the time to be learning new skills and uh finding really a, a covid proof uh, work future for yourself many people have that the lucky remote workers, um, and we value our restaurant workers uh, for sure, and uh, retail workers, uh, no disrespect to them. Uh, we need them to run our stores and restaurants and shops, but it's not a super secure uh, economic life. So this might be the time to not take handouts. What if, what if the money was repurposed instead for job training programs or tuition? or scholarships, that would seem to make a lot more sense to me. But this is going on around the country, and L.A. is doing the same thing. So are some other cities. Uh, It's part of a a broad pattern of progressive governance where, you know, the government is the daddy to everybody. And uh, I'm not sure I like that a whole lot. Yeah, no, that's a great point and and well put. Matt Rosenberg is on the phone with us. us. He's author of What's Next Chicago, What Next Chicago, Notes of a Pissed-Off Native Son. So... Yeah, you're, I mean, as I said, I'm an Illinois resident. I live downstate, though, and we're talking in St. Louis. Uh, but a lot of Illinois listeners here, and so we have kind of a vested interest in what happens in Chicago because Chicago runs Illinois. So when I saw, oh my gosh, we're actually going to be having a universal basic income, at least in Chicago. Yes, at right now, that won't impact too much of what the rest of Illinois is doing. But it worries me that looking down the line that, like you said, the major cities in the United States are implementing this. Well, the goal is not so that it stays just in that city. The goal is that people become dependent on it. And I'm assuming, Matt, you still live in Chicago now, right? I have come back. I lived here for 30 years. I came back last year for several months and moved back in to do field work on the south side. And then I came back again this fall when the book came out. But um, I live uh, and have lived for a number of years in Seattle, which... uh, Oh, boy, (laughs) yeah. I'm just, wherever I go, trouble seems to follow, Um, or or maybe that's just how it goes in big cities today, because if you look at New York, San Francisco, L.A., Philadelphia, uh, Chicago, Seattle, and Portland, which are a real eyeful when you uh, venture into the downtown, I'll tell you that uh, firsthand recent experience, Um, there's a lot going on in our cities, and, uh, you know, I think this quote, from a Chicago alderman just uh, yesterday or the day before captures it. Uh, you know, the city council had just passed a 16 point something billion dollar budget for fiscal year 2022. Yeah, 16.7 And the chair of the Progressive Caucus, uh, Alderman Sophia King, uh, and this is in a good publication called Block Club Chicago. 
Listen to this quote. She said, while we need to uh, prioritize more progressive structural revenue and direct these resources equitably, especially around racial redress, this is still a progressive budget. Now, there's a lot packed in there, but I'm picking out a few phrases. Number one, progressive structural revenue. Mm -hmm. Think about that one. Um, Directing resources equitably. That gets you to the whole rhetoric around equity. And then she says, uh, especially around racial redress. And she calls those progressive principles. I mean, there's an awful lot to chew on right there, but just start with progressive structural revenue. That means, in this case, you know, uh, creating a program for it for which there is no ongoing funding, um, but glomming on to federal handouts when they're being thrown around under special circumstances, and then quite possibly creating a funding burden, burden or expectation for the city that they'll have to go to taxpayers next year and the year after um, to fulfill again. So it's about creating expectations without the resources to back them up. The resources in the end are always taxpayers. And how progressive is it? Um, Going back to what I was saying before, you know, I mean, teach a man to fish, right? Rather than give him a fish. So, you know, there's, there's a whole lot too, when we, when we talk about equity, the alderman here, Sophia King talks about directing these resources equitably. The whole idea of equity is a huge part of the political rhetoric in the city of Chicago. It goes hand in hand with the rhetoric around uh, uh, systemic racism. Um, Nobody really wants to talk about academic achievement, parenting, about keeping control of the young men who are creating spiraling violent crime in Chicago that has reached a new and sort of terrifying level uh, this year and last year. Uh, So equity is not a door prize. That's my take. Equity is something you earn. It doesn't mean necessarily you've got equity in a business or a home, although those are great forms of equity. Equity means to me that you've taken ownership of your life plan. And that's something that too many people are scared to talk about in our big cities and in the state legislature. So handouts become a sort of shorthand form of of caring, uh, you know, from the government. And that's just not what we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And especially uh, the only time we do talk about racial issues at all is when they are a front for other things. Like in this case, you know, you can say, well, this is a racial issue. Uh, so that if you oppose universal basic income, they can say, well, that's because you're a racist. And so then the argument ends there. Um, let me ask you this, though, because I, I mentioned, you know, do you live in Chicago? And you said Chicago and Seattle. You know, mm-hmm. this this to me, we're in, in a time right now where, as you mentioned, kind of at the beginning when we started talking here, that the the economy right now needs workers bad. We, we need workers in every field, in, in every income level across the board. And my guess is that as you survey Chicago and Seattle, um, you know, it's the same there, maybe even worse than the rest of the nation. And yet the reasons for those things, the root causes of not needing money because you you have so much money being given to you are only going to get worse if we do universal basic income, in my opinion. What do you think about the, the future of cities 
as far as needing workers goes in relation to universal basic income? Well, I think that, you know, we have to keep in mind cities and people have to innovate. So, uh, you know, I think of guys right now who are getting uh, uh, micro micro lending funds from a great uh, program down on the southeast side of Chicago uh, through the Chicago Neighborhoods Initiative. Black ex-convicts are getting loans of twenty or forty thousand dollars at a pop to buy one or two delivery vans and start uh, delivery services because there are an increasing number of Amazon distribution facilities uh, popping up all over Chicago. Now that's a great job, especially if you're coming out of out of jail. The hours are long, um, you know, but you can make real money. Here's the thing: in ten years, it might be drones making those last miles deliveries to consumers of uh, Amazon ordered goods. So that speaks to the need to continue really lifelong learning. You know, you might need to to know how to operate a drone panel. Um, You know, eventually uh, workers in a lot of restaurants and uh, uh, retail outlets are going to be replaced with automation. Um, It's we're already starting to see that in supermarkets. So when I look at a handout, Um, with no direction attached to it, you know, with no stipulation. If they said, hey, if your income is below level X and um, here's, you know, 10 or 20 or $30,000 a year, but you can only use it for professional training at uh, such and such an accredited institute or accredited community college, I would probably be all behind that. Um, that's what equity actually is. It's an investment, not a handout. So when I look at the kinds of jobs we're going to need people for, more and more it's going to be higher level stuff. Uh, and more and more we need not no strings attached handouts, but directed focused spending to raise the level of skills. And, you know, I won't go into it now because we probably don't have time, but When you look at the performance data for K-12 students in all of your major big U.S. cities at the public schools, it's utterly miserable. They're not meeting the standards on uh, the National Assessment for Educational Progress, a very important test for fourth and eighth graders, math and reading. Uh, Notice the nation's report card, nor are they meeting the state-level standards uh, of, you know, the equivalent of a C grade on the SATs. In other words, you've got three quarters to four fifths of students not making the grade. And with uh, minority students, it's it's four fifths or, or less who are not making the grade in your core subjects. So that kind of stuff cannot be considered apart from stuff like UBI. You know, we're yeah. not covering the basics. We're kind of jumping to the uh to Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah. And it's just just not a smart way to do business as government. And as and as you mentioned, you know, that government spending on education is not producing the results we'd like. So I question whether government spending even in a lot of these programs would, would do the same thing. Matt Rosenberg is the author of What Next Chicago? Notes of a Pissed Off Native Son. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Where do you suggest people get the book if they want to read about it? Thank you for asking. It's uh 
It's print-on-demand, so paperback online only at either Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. They just go to either site and enter What Next Chicago in the search box. Sounds good. Thank you, Matt Rosenberg. We are running up on 8 o'clock here on Saturday morning, Halloween. Tomorrow you're going to wake up on, uh, I guess, Monday and realize that the holiday season is here. And you're going to say, it's the holiday season? So whoop-de-doo, dickery-dock, and then you're going to forget to hang up your sock. And I just want to be here on record saying, I told you so. Don't forget to hang up your sock because just exactly at, I don't know, I don't know what time, uh, somebody's going to come and they're going to try to put something in your sock. <laughs> <laughs> a complete waste of time. Well, there goes a minute of your life. Uh, but yeah, we are coming up on daylight savings time next weekend. We're, this is the day. So, like when when Halloween falls on a Sunday, that's the latest that daylight savings could come because it's always the the uh, Saturday after Halloween. So we're going to be a late daylight savings this year. And I am not opposed to getting rid of daylight savings. I don't know about you. In general. I, I like the extra hour in the fall. I mean, I, I like it. It just takes me a week or two sometimes to even adjust to the time switch. And just don't like that. I like, you know, being in my circadian rhythm and, and keeping things flowing. Anyway, this is Ryan Wiggins, Wiggins America. I uh, do want to report something to you that maybe you missed this week. Nobody has reported on this. I did on Annie Fry's show, but if you missed that, then just real quick here. Remember how the Biden administration was, and everybody in the Democrat side, were talking about expanding the Supreme Court and how great of an idea that would be for everybody, and they, they put a commission together, and they were going to listen to the commission's advice, and you figure that the commission was going to come back and tell them, yeah, it seems like a great idea. The uh, Constitution doesn't establish they have a nine-court justice, so you can do whatever you want. That's what they always do. If they have any sort of scandal, they say, well, we're going to put together a commission. We're going to put together an investigation. And then nobody remembers that it happened. Like the, the, the horse story. Remember that one? That one's about a month old now. There were horses rounding up illegal immigrants trying to cross the border. Not horses, but people on horses. And the pictures looked like they had whips and they were whipping them, but they weren't. They were reins. And so the Biden administration lied about that and said... Uh, that they were whips, and that was proven completely false. And then they said, well, we're going to put together an investigative committee to look at basically getting rid of horses on the southern border. Anything they can do to make it easier for people to cross into this country illegally, they're going to do. And nobody remembers what that investigative committee was supposed to do because the news story, has, news cycle has moved on. Well, this one hasn't moved on. The whole packing the Supreme Court thing, they really did put together a commission. Sometimes they just say they do. This one they did, and they just put out a 200-page draft of their findings this week, the commissioners from this report. Guess what they found? You really don't know. It could go either way, right? It didn't. <laughs> it didn't go the way that you thought it would. Here's an excerpt from it. It says, quote, commissioners are divided on whether court expansion would be wise. Court expansion is likely to undermine rather than enhance the Supreme Court's legitimacy and its role in the constitutional system. And there are significant reasons to be skeptical that expansion would serve democratic values. Amazing. So I have a feeling you're going to see this issue go away until the next Supreme Court 
session is underway. It may be underway now. Uh, but there's some big explosive cases that involve gun rights, that involve basically deep state activity. That sounds nefarious just because I said the words deep state, but ultimately it's about how much authority these non-elected agencies have. I think that's a big, big case. It won't get a lot of coverage, but I'm going to talk about it once it comes out, and I'm following it. And then abortion, of course, is on the docket as well. If those court, those cases don't go the way Democrats want, they could revive this issue, but they're, they're not going to do anything about it. They just use it as kind of a bludgeon to push the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court listens. I would love for them to be so completely impartial that they do not even know what's happening politically, that they just make rules based on constitutional law because that's their job. But they don't do that. We saw over the summer and early, you know, March, April, May, that they were doing a lot of 9-0 decisions to show that there were there was solidarity on the court. And well, that was to send a message to Congress to say, don't pack the court. I agree with the message, don't pack the court. I don't think the Supreme Court itself should be sending that message because I don't think they should be sending messages. They should just be straight up looking at each case that comes, applying the Constitution to it. That's it. And precedent in most cases. But before we end the show today. The last. Where is everybody? It's not the end of the world. There's all the time I need and all the time I want. The last person on Earth. I miss the noise, you know? I thought I was going to be alone again. There's time now. The last person on Earth movies. I love these movies. And I need suggestions because I've only got one left to review here. So if you've ever seen a movie or a TV show, no matter how obscure it is, even if you don't remember the name of it, send me the message. I'll look it up. I probably have already reviewed it. That's how deep and dorky I am about this subject. I love Last Person on Earth movies and TV shows and even books. And I will review those things, watch it, get back to you. I probably have already watched it. So if it has a scene in it, it doesn't even have to be the whole movie or the whole whole uh, show. If it even has a scene where somebody's walking around an empty city or a, a, an environment that should have people that doesn't, that would qualify. The last human being, you know, or at least they think they are or you think they are as the viewer. They don't have to be on Earth or the actual last person on an Earth-like planet or the Earth itself. Any of those things. They usually hit one of the criteria for this. The one that was suggested to me that I'm reviewing this week was suggested by Brad. Thank you for writing in. A Quiet Place. Yes, in fact, it does. Let me give you the ones we've reviewed so far. I Am Legend, Omega Man, Last Man on Earth. Those all did hit the criteria on the beach, both TV and movie. Um, That was a 1959 movie, but they did a miniseries in about 2000. Both of those did hit it too, but not as well. There was only one scene in those that is a person walking around an empty city. But nonetheless, it does hit it, and I do love reviewing those things. So again, my name on Facebook is Ryan Wiggins. You can just look me up there and send me a message, direct message, or on Twitter, at Radio Wiggins. Easy to find, and I'd love to see what you have. Brad, again, suggested A Quiet Place. Yes, it does. Uh, It's a last person on Earth, three stars out of five, although I gave it a general entertainment value of five. Loved that movie. Right, rightfully beloved horror sci-fi movie I wrote explains very little about the actual world they live in until the second one, uh, which I won't give away. But it's very, very cool. Monsters with super ability to hear have taken over the earth with very few survivors. And so, yes, Quiet Place does have some rummaging and walking through empty former cities. 
That's why <clears throat> this one does hit the list, does make the list. The one we reviewed last time, Book of Eli, did not. You know, it's post-apocalyptic, yes, but there's no actual last man on earth elements to Book of Eli, even though it's a really, really good movie. So there's the list. I'm putting together a website right now that I'm going to start just putting all of these things on that uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is. If you search for it, you can probably find it right now. It does exist, but we're still in the building phases. If you want to find that, it's out there. But again, easiest way to contact me, at Radio Wiggins on Twitter or Ryan Wiggins on Facebook for now until we get that website set up. Let me know what you think about anything we talked about today, especially if it's last last man or last person on Earth. We'd love to hear your suggestion for that. And until then, we will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Wiggins America. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 